Need a break from the horrifying reality of real life? Well, do we have a sexy deal for you. Go to adamandeve.com and use our special code HORROR for 50% off almost any item and free shipping. That's H-O-R-R-O-R at checkout for 50% off and free shipping. Order now and get ready to... What the fuck? Hello, everyone. Hi, friends. Welcome to an exciting new episode in a new space of I'm Horrified, the same old podcast. I know, it's just, we're going to be the same old broads. Maybe we should have started a new podcast for this new room that we're in. I know. I we could we could have spiced things up a little bit. Yeah. Brought you something new. Put nice energy into this apartment instead of just garbage garbage energy like we always do. But we certainly won't. But no, it's another episode of I'm Horrified. I'm Sam Buntage. I'm Allie Rayner. And we're coming to you live for us from Allie's living room. Yay! The podcasting studio is not finished yet. Not quite. But um when it's done or when we hit a hundred thousand downloads. Woo! Probably when it's done, though. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll give you a little tour on, on the Twitter machine. Yeah. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod if you want to see our sexy new podcasting studio. Allie, that was a seamless plug. I know. That was great work. <laughs> I'm nothing if not constantly trying to rep our brand. <sighs> Speaking of repping our brand, it's most on brand for us to do this podcast. Yeah. Probably. Tell you some horrible things. Sam, what are you going to talk about today? Today I'm going to talk about D.B. Cooper. I have absolutely no idea who this is. Really? I don't even have a working knowledge of oh who this goodness. is. Oh my goodness. You'll probably kind of recognize it once I start telling the story. Usually I do. Usually I'm like, oh, is that, is that guy, is that the guy who, oh, right. Yeah. Um, But no, I have no idea who you're going to talk about. Oh my goodness. Um, I, on the other hand, I'm going to talk about something pretty obscure mm-hmm. that you probably haven't heard of. I had never heard of these. Uh, this is the penny. We're going to talk about pennies and why they're worthless garbage. Tiny American currency. Yep. Today. The tiniest. The smallest. Other than the half penny, which is not currently in the U.S. Mint. Also known as the hay penny. But I'm bearing late. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you tell me who on earth D.B. Cooper is? I would love to. Um, yeah, so this one is interesting to me because it's sort of like a, a thrilling, titillating topic, but I personally am horrified. Mm. So that's a fun kind of thing to deal with. We're getting intimate today. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about an unsolved mystery that makes you go like, how have we not solved this? Right. How? Even more than like John Bonet, which is my number one, I would love to know what actually happened here. Yeah. This one is like, how did we never figure this out as right. a culture? So, yes, we're going to talk about D.B. Cooper and the only unsolved airline piracy crime in American history. What? <laughs> okay, I'm in. Alrighty, so let me let me set the scene. It's Thanksgiving Eve, November 24th, 1971. Mm. A middle-aged man carrying a black attache case approached the flight counter of Northwest Orient Airlines at the Portland International Airport. This sounds like a novella. It kind of is. Sexy noir. So he goes up to the counter and he identifies himself as Dan Cooper. And he uses cash to purchase a one-way ticket on Flight 305, a 30-minute trip north to Seattle. So Cooper boards the aircraft and takes a seat in the rear of the passenger cabin. He lights a cigarette. Remember when you could smoke literally anywhere? Yeah, even on on an aircraft? Wow. What? And he orders a bourbon and soda. 
Fellow passengers describe him as a man in his mid-40s, tall, wearing a lightweight black raincoat, loafers, a dark suit, a neatly pressed collared white shirt, and a black clip-on tie with a mother-of-pearl tie pen. So looking pretty sharp. That sounds pretty sharp. Yeah. So the flight departs at 2.50 p.m. and is only about a third of the way full. And shortly after takeoff, Cooper hands a note to Florence Schaffner, who is a flight attendant situated close to him. So at first, Florence literally is just like some other idiot businessman is trying to give me his number. So she just kind of puts it in her purse and does not look at it, which I love as a move. Yeah. Um, Oh, God. Cooper then leans towards her and whispers, Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. (gasps) (laughs) What? She thought she was being hit on. Um, What if he he, she still was? (laughs) Like, I have a bomb. In my fucking pants. Yes. So Let's that, get it on. Did absolutely. she still think like, all right, take, sure. take the, hit the road, sucker. <laughs> yeah. To any pickup artist listening to this podcast, definitely try this next time a woman is not interested in you. <laughs> Make it clear. Uh, it will, if nothing else, really get her attention. Or have you investigated by the FBI. Again, that's her attention. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> She's going to be making statements about you for years. Mm-hmm. So the note is printed in neat, all capital letters with a felt tip pen. Um, Unfortunately, its exact wording is unknown because Cooper took it back from Florence. But Florence recalls the note basically says Cooper has a bomb in his briefcase. So she reads the note and then Cooper's like, come sit next to me. And Florence is like, holy fucking shit. Uh, And then she asks him to see the bomb. So he opens his briefcase And she just glimpses eight red cylinders, four on top of four, attached to wires coated with some kind of red insulation, and then a large cylindrical battery. Basically exactly what I would assume a bomb looked like. I mean, I guess so. I mean, I would be expecting one of those sort of bowling ball shapes with a candle top on it. Oh, but no, I, I would still be scared by this. Yeah, I and I it sounds like a bomb to me. I don't know. I'm not a bomb expert. <laughs> not sure. So after closing the briefcase, he says that his demands are $200,000 in, quote, negotiable American currency. Um, and just for reference, that's about $1.3 million today. Um, he also wants four parachutes, two primary and two reserve, and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the aircraft upon arrival. So Florence, like, goes up to the pilots and she's like, hi, this uh, mysterious man has a bomb. (laughs) And what he wants. Hi, knock, knock. You guys got a second? (laughs) Knowing uh, the patriarchy, probably she did. She she probably had to be like, well, first of all, can I get you a snack? Um, Secondly, and I don't want to bug you with this, but there is a man with a bomb in his briefcase. (laughs) Secondly to that, (laughs) we're all going to die in fire tonight. Yeah. So um, she returns out of the cockpit back to Cooper. Cooper is now wearing dark sunglasses, and I'm imagining him looking like Raz P. Berry from that Doll Glover SNL oh. sketch. <laughs> Which is not what he looked like, but I just like the idea of that. Please Google that SNL sketch. It's excellent. So the pilot, William Scott, contacts Seattle Tacoma Airport Air Traffic Control um, and is basically like, hi, there's a man with a bomb <laughs> on my plane, and he wants $300,000 and a parachute and... Fuel. Um, And then they inform local and federal authorities. The 36 other passengers on the plane are given false information that their arrival in Seattle would be delayed because of, quote, a minor mechanical difficulty. And I think this is the right move, and I would definitely want to be lied to in this situation. Of course. I would not want to know. (laughs) I do not want honesty from anyone in power right now. And I will happily blindly believe you if you tell me we're having a minor technical difficulty. 
I would prefer you just like gas me out, like put me <laughs> in some kind of like sleeping gas and yeah, and then wake me up when I'm out of danger. Yeah, absolutely. Be That's my, my preference. Isn't that what we would all prefer? Um, so the airline's president, whose name is Donald Nyrop, authorizes payment of the ransom and basically is like, do whatever he says. We'll pay him what he wants. We'll give him his parachutes. That's sure. fine. Which is what they had to do. He had a bomb on a plane. So Florence recalled later that Cooper had seemed really familiar with the local terrain, which is like a weird thing. Like he was saying like, oh, it looks like Tacoma down there. And like he was mentioning that like McCord Air Force Base was only 20 minutes away, which was true. Why was he making small talk with the people he was hostaging? Everyone said he was very nice, which cracked me up. Apparently there was a stereotype about airline pirates at the time, to which I'm like, how often was this happening? If there was a stereotype. But the stereotype was like that they were like these strong silent types or they were like very angry and were screaming like, take me to Cuba. So That's what I do on most of my JetBlue flights. <laughs> So, like, the the stewardesses and the people who interacted with him all said that, like, he was very calm. He seemed really nice. Um, one of the stewardesses, Tina Mucklow, said um, he was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time. Um, he had ordered a second bourbon and water, and then he paid his tab, which I'm like... What? You're, you're, you're robbing them. <laughs> Take it for free. I would, if I was a stewardess, or uh, actually, I should say stewardess, because that's probably what they were called back then, but if I was the flight attendant, I would have been like, you know, weirdly, I want to just give you this on the house. This one's on the house for you. Given the circumstances. Um, And he also offered to request meals for the crew when they landed in Seattle. He was like, will you guys want something to eat when we land? And they were like, um, we're good. (laughs) Thanks. It's fine. I I do want a meal, but I want it when I'm off this plane that's nice i guess um so yeah it's like very chill of him but he was hijacking a plane so the fbi gets the money together it's um ten thousand unmarked twenty dollar bills um and they like are taking record of like all of the the serial numbers and all this stuff just so they can like try to get it back at some point um and they had also offered cooper these like really fancy military issue parachutes But he instead wanted civilian parachutes. So they were like, okay, I guess you know enough about parachutes that you care. Um, And they ended up having to go to a local skydiving school and just being like, we need your parachutes. It's a matter of national importance. (laughs) Which it quite literally was. So finally, at around 5.30 p.m., uh, Cooper is informed that his demands had been met. They land at Seattle-Tacoma Airport. And so they get someone to come up to the aircraft, like, in street clothes. So, because he was actually just, like, a guy who worked for the airline and they didn't want him to think he was a cop. So it was, like, just a guy with your money and your parachutes. Here you go. And so at that point, once Cooper got all that stuff, he ordered all the passengers, Florence, and then the other one of the other senior flight attendants, Alice Hannock, to leave the plane. So at this point, it's literally just like the cockpit crew and one flight attendant and Cooper who were on the plane. It's like five people total. And he talked to them for like a long time, just like casually about like where they're going. So he's like, I really want to get to Mexico. Let's talk about airspeed. Let's talk about like the wind direction. And they're like literally just talking logistics. And I was like, I would not be able to talk logistics in this scenario. I'd be like, please don't kill me. I have a family. I would just be screaming the whole time if I was the pilot. Like, I just can't imagine. This is one of a couple reasons why you shouldn't be a pilot. Yeah. But only a few reasons. Yeah. You could still go for it if it's your dream. I'm actually good, but thank you. (laughs) Um, I just... (laughs) 
I'm just imagining like somebody getting on a plane and like you come over the airwaves like, um, hi, this is your pilot, Sam. Um, it does look like we're going to have some turbulence, so we will not be flying today because I cannot deal with that right now. Do you want to deal with that? No, I don't think so. We're good, actually. Um, but yeah, basically what I'm saying is it just seemed like he knew a fucking lot about planes and everyone was like, who the fuck is this guy? I don't trust men who know too much about any subject. (laughs) There you go. Um, and then they basically end up saying, okay, so we're going to refuel, we're going to take off, we're going to stop in Reno, Nevada, refuel again, and then we're going to go to Mexico. And the crew is like, whatever gets me not bombed. Yeah. I'm game. (laughs) Whatever ends with me not dead is, sounds good. Yeah. Um, and the F- the FAA wanted to have a face-to-face meeting with Cooper. He's like, fuck no. Um, and but seeing how, how he was so polite, he was probably like, no thanks. Yeah, he was probably like, I'm actually all set. And they were like, <laughs> oh, us too. Wait. No. Um, so finally around 740, the plane takes off again with only the five people on board, the flight crew, the one flight attendant, and Cooper. And they actually had, like, airliners following. So they were, like, one above and one below, like, like jets, like military jets above and below this plane. So Cooper couldn't see them, but they were following. And in all, like, five different planes were trailing this one hijacked plane, trying to, like, right. figure out what was happening. So um, after takeoff, Cooper tells the entire crew to get in the cockpit and remain in there with the door closed. And so then... Like, as the flight attendant um, is going, she notices Cooper tying something around his waist. And they think that was probably him, like, tying the money to himself. Um, which, again, was, like, $300,000. So that's a lot of bills. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm getting nervous. Do they die? Do they all fucking die? You're going to see. Oh. And so, well, we have some of their statements. So she's fine, clearly. Well, Florence already got off. Well, but this was Tina. Mucklow. She's still on there? She's still on the plane. Oh, good. Oh, okay. She's okay. on that plane, baby. She's going to that cockpit. She's cl- okay. shutting the door. Okay, okay. Um, and so eventually around eight o'clock, there's a warning light in the cockpit that flashes to say that the, um, like, the air stair apparatus has been activated. So he basically, like, opened the door. Um, you shouldn't be able to do that. I, the, you can't anymore because of this. Oh, good. <laughs> um, and they were fi- on purpose flying low enough that, like, the cabin hadn't been pressurized or anything. So it was literally, like fine to open the door but still they were like what and so they kind of like radio back there to him and they're like hey do you need help (laughs) and he like very tersely is like no and they're like okay and so um they notice the crew then notices like a change in air pressure and like indicating that everything's open and then at 8 13 the tail section sustains like a sudden upward movement, which was significant enough to require like them actually taking action to fix it. Um, and then basically they landed at like 10, 15 PM. The police like swarm them and they realize that Cooper is no longer on board. So he jumped off the plane at some point in the two hours, probably around that eight o'clock where the door opened. And so he's never been seen ever again. And that's fucking crazy. What? He gets away with it. We have never found D.B. Cooper. We've never found the money. Like, he's just gone. What? He jumped out of the plane with the parachutes. And then he's just out. And and no one has ever seen or heard from him ever again. The police never closed the case. He hijacked a whole fucking plane. What? And they were just like... 
Uh, bye. I so, need more information. What other information do you have? <laughs> I have a little bit more information, but like, let's, again, I just want to run through this again. He hijacks a plane. He gets $300,000 onto that plane. He jumps out of he it. He jumps out of a plane that is being surrounded by five other aircrafts. None of them see him jump out of the plane. What if he just like landed on top of the jet underneath? Like, <laughs> I love that theory. That would be unfortunate. <laughs> Money's just like raining over like Colorado, and yeah. everyone's like, "Wow, <laughs> free money, good." Um, but yeah, like we, I just can't get over that. That's this. So this is the horrifying thing to me, right? Like this is a kind of a sexy story, but I'm also like, how did they never find this fucking guy? Yeah, it concerns me that they. He didn't. feels noticeable. Well, the 1970s police couldn't find Zodiac either, so there you how go. Dare they? Fair enough. So of course, an investigation starts immediately. Um, they're questioning all these possible subjects, um, more than like 800 people. And one of these men is an Oregon man named D.B. Cooper, who had had a minor police record and was one of the first people of interest in the case. So he's contacted by Portland police on the off chance that the hijacker used his real name. (laughs) They're like, we just got to talk to this D.B. Cooper just in case this is the Dan Cooper. Um, but he's really quickly ruled out as a suspect. They're like, obviously. Well, because like Florence Kiro would be like, that's not him. Yeah, exactly. And however, a local reporter named James Long was rushing to meet a deadline. And so he confused the suspect's name with the pseudonym used by the hijacker. And therefore the moniker D.B. Cooper got stuck to this guy and has been used ever since. No. Which is hilarious. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I feel kind of bad for actual D.B. Cooper, who probably just like, Robbed a liquor store. Yeah. <laughs> he probably was fine. Yeah, because, like, what if, like, Alice Radner yeah. burned down France? Yeah. And then, like, I have to deal with that. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, so you almost always hear this referred to as the D.B. Cooper case, but, like, the guy called himself Dan Cooper. Right. He never referred to himself as D.B. Cooper, so that's just, like, a fun fact. Yeah. This reminds me of the fact that um, my dad's name is Dennis Raynor. Mm-hmm. And uh, the BTK killer is Dennis Raider. Great. <laughs> so that's the same. <laughs> I love that for Den. I think they were like born around the same time. <laughs> like it's it's no good. That's no good. That's what poor D.B. Cooper has to deal with. So the police have very, very little evidence to go on. Cooper left his tie and tie clip when he jumped, but that was about it. Is that in the Smithsonian somewhere? I hope so. Um, So instead, they basically had to use his actions to build, like, a suspect profile of him. And here's what they got. Number one, Cooper appeared to be familiar with the Seattle area and had maybe been an Air Force veteran based on the testimony that he recognized the city of Tacoma from the air. um, And he, him mentioning that, like, there was an Air Force base really nearby, which most civilians would not know or comment on. Yeah. Then he was, like, really into Pearl Jam. Yeah. (laughs) They were like, this guy's from Seattle. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, number two, his financial situation was likely very desperate. So extortionists and other criminals who steal large amounts of money nearly always do it because they need it urgently. It's not like, man, I'd like to have $300,000. It's like, I need $300,000 so much I am going to hijack this plane. Right. Um, alternatively, some people think Cooper might have just been a thrill seeker who made the jump just to prove it could be done. That's fucking crazy. So I hope that's not true. I like that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I don't I don't want there to be people like that in the world, but also it's like, that's the best option, right? <laughs> I don't like that at all. 
Um, number three, uh, agents theorized that Cooper took his alias from a popular Belgian comic book series of the 1970s, which fixed, featured- Tintin? No. It featured a fictional There's another hero. popular Belgian comic book series? Well, yeah, it's a fictional hero named Dan Cooper. And in the comic, he's a Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot. Oh. Who takes part in a lot of heroic adventures, including parachuting. Um, because the Dan Cooper comics were never translated into English, nor imported to the U.S., they speculated he may have encountered them during some kind of tour of duty in Europe. And an alternative theory to this is that maybe he was Canadian because the comics were available in Canada. Yeah, there you go. But they're like, you know, so he either is like, you know, they, they're like, this is probably where he got the name. So he somehow came across these comics. Or he's Belgian. Or he's Belgian. Um, and number four, evidence suggests Cooper was knowledgeable about flying techniques, aircrafts, and terrain. He demanded four parachutes to force the assumption he might, like, take a hostage and jump with him, um, which ensured that none of the airbags would be deliberately sabotaged. Uh, so that was, like, tactical thinking kind of on his part. He, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. He chose a really specific kind of aircraft that made it so that he could do this weird, low bailout escape. Um, and he, like, he knew the flap setting had to be 15 degrees. He knew the refueling time. Like, he just knew way too much about planes to mean that he was just, like, a dude. Yeah. Right? And so, um, there was some of the info that he knew that was thought to be, like, virtually unique to CIA paramilitary units. So they were like, I feel like this guy's maybe CIA, but we don't fucking know. But how does he know all that stuff? Um, for reference, the FBI is a little bit more skeptical about this. They think that Cooper lacked a lot of skydiving skills. Um, and Special Agent Larry Carr, who led the team searching for Cooper for 10 years, said, quote, We originally thought Cooper was an experienced jumper, perhaps even a paratrooper. We concluded after a few years that was simply not true. No experienced parachutist would have jumped in the pitch black night in the rain with 172 mile per hour wind in his face, wearing loafers and a trench coat. It is simply too risky. Um, he also missed that his reserve parachute was only for training and had been shown shut, something a skilled skydiver would have checked. Mm. So basically, they're just like, he's. he seems like he knows a lot, but he actually like didn't do that good a job when it came to the skydiving, so... He knows a lot about planes, but, like, maybe not that much. He's just an enthusiast. Yeah, so it's like, that's what they're looking for. Somebody with money trouble, who's familiar with an obscure comic book, who has some kind of experience around planes and the organ area, but maybe has not actually parachuted that much. Which sounds really specific, but they can never fucking find this guy. Right. And like I said, they have never found him. <laughs> Again, what the fuck? That's so crazy that they haven't found him. Or even any of the money, at least. So, suddenly in 1980, a break in the case. Eight-year-old Brian Ingram is vacationing with his family. Love it. On the Columbia River at a beachfront known as Tina Bar, which is about nine miles downstream from Vancouver, Washington. He uncovers three packets of the ransom cash that he was, like, raking out of a sandy riverbank to build a campfire. The bills are significantly disintegrated, but they are still bundled in the rubber bands in the same order that they were when they were given to D.B. Cooper. Whoa. So FBI technicians confirm that the money was a portion of the ransom. It's two packets of $120 bills and a third packet of $90 $20 bills, all arranged in the right order, like everything. It's huge, but it unfortunately leads to nothing. To this day, none of the 9,710 remaining bills have ever turned up anywhere in the world. What the fuck? 
I know. Um, the serial numbers are all online for public search, which is fun. But, like, why would you think that you had one of DDB Cooper's? Yeah, I guess that's bills? the thing. It's not like it's never surfaced. It's just like it's never gone checking to their money. The government. Yeah. Yeah. Like, one of us could have, or I guess we couldn't because we never carry cash. But <laughs> one of us could. Could. That's crazy. Yeah, so so like I mentioned a while ago, the D.B. Coopers stopped having a designated FBI team in 2016. The FBI was just like, there's other stuff we need to we need to work on. Um, so it's going to be up to citizen sleuths to figure this out. Of course, there have been some theories. There are so many theories because a lot of people like to confess to being D.B. Cooper on their deathbed. They that just- sounds fun. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it's kind of badass. Yeah. I mean, stealing isn't badass, kids. But he didn't kill anyone. No. He didn't even hurt anyone. No. Like... I guess if you want to be a criminal, but not <laughs> that cool bad of a dude, be. yeah, it's not so bad. It's like, catch me if you can. Like, yeah. It's not hurting anyone. He's, so. he's very Frank Abagnale Jr. <laughs> exactly. Um, but so here are the four theories that are really popular that I thought were maybe the most possible. Number one, he might be a guy named Kenneth Christensen. So in 2003, a Minnesota resident named Lyle Christensen watched a TV documentary about the D.B. Cooper hijacking, and he became convinced that his late brother Kenneth was D.B. Cooper. Nice. Um, Kenneth had enlisted in the army in 1944 and was trained as a paratrooper. Um, and he never actually made any jumps in the war, but he had made several training jumps when he was stationed in Japan. And after he left the army, he joined Northwest Orient, the plane company that got hijacked by Cooper. And he was like a mechanic for them. Then he became a flight attendant. Then he was a purser based in Seattle. So he worked for this company that flew these planes for a really long time. So he would know a lot about the planes. So he would know a lot about the planes. Um, A a knock against this is that Christensen was um, only 5'8", and he was only about 150 pounds, and that's shorter and thinner than eyewitnesses thought D.B. Cooper was. Mm -hmm. Um, But he did smoke, as did the hijacker. He was fond of bourbon, as was the hijacker. He was left-handed like the hijacker. And Sweet Florence, who was the flight attendant, told reporters that the photo of Christensen fit her memory of the hijacker's appearance more closely than those of other suspects she had been shown. Ooh. But she couldn't be like, yes, that's him. She was just like, no, it looks closer than other guys. Um, as um, as uh, Christensen was dying of cancer in 1994, he told Lyle, there is something you should know, but I cannot tell you. And Lyle said he never pressed his brother to explain uh, as a quick aside, if you say that to me on your deathbed, by God, I am getting that goss. I yeah. don't care that you're dying. I would be like, who gives a shit that you're dying right now? You can't hold out on me like you that. You must tell me what it is that I cannot That's know. That's friend code. Amen. Let alone brothers. I know. Come on. And we are brothers. Yes. This is emotional. <laughs> um, but so after Christensen's death, family members discovered a ton of gold coins and a valuable stamp collection they hadn't known about, along with $200,000 in his bank accounts. Um, They also found a folder of Northwest Orient news clippings, which began around the time he was hired in the 50s and stopped just prior to the date of the hijacking, despite the fact that the hijacking was by far the most momentous news event in the airline's history. He continued to work part-time for the airline for many years after 1971, but he never clipped another Northwest news story. Suspicious. This sounds like him. Right? So it could be this guy. It could also not be this guy. I think it's this guy. It could be Lynn Doyle Cooper. Whom? L.D. Cooper, who is a leather worker and a Korean War veteran, was proposed as a subject in 2011 by his niece, Marla Cooper. 
Um, when she was eight, she recalled seeing her uncle and another of her uncles planning something, quote, very mischievous that involved the use of expensive walkie-talkies at her grandmother's home in Sisters, Oregon, 150 miles southeast of Portland. The next day, Flight 305 was hijacked, and although her uncles were ostensibly turkey hunting, L.D. Cooper came home wearing a bloody shirt, the result, he said, of an auto accident. Later, she said, her parents came to believe that L.D. Cooper was the hijacker. She also recalled her uncle, who died in 1999, was obsessed with the Canadian comic book hero Dan Cooper and had one of his comic books thumbtacked to his wall. Whoa. Okay. No, I still believe the first one You still think it's Christensen? This next one is absolute legend. Barbara Dayton. Barbara like a woman? You'll see. Barbara was a recreational pilot, a University of Washington librarian, and a trans woman who served in the U.S. Merchant Marines and then the Army during World War II before her transition. So after her discharge, Dayton worked with explosives in the construction industry and inspired to be a professional airline like, to work in airlines professionally, but she could not obtain a commercial pilot's license. Barbara claimed that she committed the D.B. Cooper hijacking disguised as a man to get back at the airline industry and the FAA, whose insurmountable rules and conditions <gasps> had prevented her from becoming an airline pilot. Yes, yes, yes. I don't think it's that one, but I hope it is. I know, right? <laughs> so she's like, I donned, like, what they wanted me to be, and I... And I was like, if you're going to make me be a man, then I'm going to rob your plane. And then I Fuck lived yeah. my best life. Fuck yeah. I love that. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, she said that the ransom money was hidden in a cistern near Wordburn, which is a suburban area south of Portland. But she eventually recanted the entire story after learning that the hijacking charges could still be brought against her. Yikes. <laughs> um, the FBI has never commented publicly on Dayton, who died in 2002. But God, if that was true. Oh my god. I just love that it's she's <laughs> still an icon. As soon as she was like, oh, could I be prosecuted for this? She was like, wasn't me. That's it reminds me of um in Parks and Recreation when Megan Mullally comes in with stuff <laughs> against Leslie Nope. She's like, this will irrefutably prove. Just so you know, you're under oath. Nothing will prove nothing. <laughs> that's that's literally Barbara Dayton. I love that. Um and then finally theory number four, DB Cooper died jumping out of the plane. <laughs> yeah. So, not the funnest theory, but an important one to bring up. The FBI has speculated from the beginning that Cooper did not survive his jump. Quote, Diving into the wilderness without a plan, without the right equipment, in such terrible conditions, he probably never even got his chute open, said, once again, Special Agent Larry Carr. Even if he did land safely, agents contend that his survival in the mountainous terrain at the onset of winter would have been all but impossible without an accomplice um, at, like, a point that they had agreed on. And it would have required really precisely, like, jumping. And he definitely didn't do that. Like, he didn't know where he was when he jumped out of that plane. Yeah, he, he couldn't, couldn't have known. Um, and so he just kind of jumped into this stormy, overcast darkness. And they're like, there's no way he was fine after that. So the theory is we've never found the money because it's on his dead corpse somewhere in the woods. Probably that one. I really wish it was. I don't know. I, I, now, my new favorite is Barbara Dayton. Yes. But if not that one, then I'd like it to be Kenneth the first one. Yes. That seems more accurate. 
Just him dying somewhere isn't fun. <laughs> I know. I mean, none of it's fun. You don't want to be hijacked. I know. But, but still, so that's the epic and freaky story of D.B. Cooper. Wow. How the fuck have we never found this guy? I don't understand. I just feel like we should be able to solve all the mysteries, but we can't. Damn. Who killed John Bonet? That too. No, I mean, Burke did it. <laughs> Burke probably did it. We know that. Um, but yeah, that that went longer than I thought, but it's just such a wild fucking story. That it was a wild ride. I feel like I was up in that airplane with them. I know. So, so that's, thank you for that. Did you recognize the D.B. Cooper? No. St- that's so not funny. Not at all. I've never heard of this. Wow. So I'm glad. I'm glad you know it I'm now. curious how many people had heard of this. Yeah. It's um, a, did you kind of know about it before? Yeah. I knew. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's, so this is fun. Um, are you guys familiar with the television program Prison Break? <gasps> yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone's brother watched Prison Break. Yeah. Um, I binged it a couple years ago just because I love content. And um, one of the characters in it is claiming to be D.B. Cooper. Um, and right. then in the context of the show, he is D.B. Cooper. Right. Um, but, <laughs> <sighs> but now let's talk about the real evil. Oh, yeah. It's oh, time. I'm so excited. It's time oh, to talk about God. something really fucking serious, let's, you guys. Let's let's talk about the fucking penny, shall we? Let's do this. Uh, it's making me angry to think about. <laughs> so, at this point, it's almost feeling like we're purposefully copying John Oliver's segments. Um, and I didn't even know that he covered the penny. Oh, really? Until I Googled, like, pennies, bad. And then I was like, fuck, John Oliver did this segment also? Yeah. But he loves doing shitty stuff and talking about it and making fun of it. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize for this. It we was are, on my list. Our interests just overlap with John Oliver's. I know. It just, it's making me self-conscious. No. Um, the just, same thing happened to me when I did genetic modification. I did all my research, and then I Googled it again, and then John Oliver popped up. And people and I was like, people are going to think that I got it from him, but I didn't. Yeah, I'm feeling like it's cheapening the effect of our podcast on this great nation. No. Um, but whatever. I'm not going to let that stop me. Good. Because the truth of the matter is that the first time I was introduced to the concept of pennies being less than worthless, was in a Vlogbrothers video. Yes. I think we've mentioned that we were, like, big into Vlogbrothers when we were in high school and college. We steal from John Green, not John Oliver. Yeah, how dare you? (laughs) Yeah, we were big into Vlogbrothers. We're annoying, self-righteous nerds from 2011. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I love the Vlogbrothers. And still, like, everyone would, like, have hot takes about how, like, his books aren't that good. And they're not that good, but, like... They're wholesome and, like, nice, and they, like, talk about young people having self-esteem. Like, I like them. They're not doing it. They're net positive for the world, I think. I would say 98% of books aren't that good. That's so true. But I like most books. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I enjoy it, even if it's not great. Um, That's how I feel about, like, pizza. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to kick a pizza out of bed. Exactly. Anywho, sometime when I was in college, I watched a Vlogbrothers video from 2010 entitled, I Hate Pennies, parentheses, also nickels. Um, And my interest in this topic was born. And it goes to show how long people have been thinking, like, what the fuck, why are pennies still here? Mm -hmm. Because that was a fully fleshed idea in 2010. Like, people were already angry about it. It's 10 years later, baby. It's 10 years later. So the penny. The penny. Let's talk about her. We must. Um... She's our smallest form of U.S. currency. Um, she is a one-cent coin, equaling one one-hundredth of a dollar. I'm really only explaining that for our international listeners. Um, Americans and most Canadians should know what a penny is. Mm-hmm. Um, the first penny was minted in 1787. Ooh. And in 1787, it was actually not the smallest form of currency because, like I said, we had the happening. How uh, do you pronounce that? 
I, half penny. I always heard it hey penny. Hey penny. Like H A. Like hey penny opera. Yeah. Whatever. Half penny. The half penny. It was worth half of a penny. Or the half cent. There you go. Half of one cent. Hasn't. <laughs> Hasn't. No. All right. We're going to 2019. Um, we're in the future. And this is irrelevant um, is the theme of the rest of the segment. Amen. Um, the word penny derives from the British word for pence. Oh, I didn't know that. And originally pennies were made fully of copper and they are now mostly zinc with copper plating. So the problem with that is that um, using those materials, one penny costs between 1.7 and 2.06 cents to make. Now remind me, Sam, if you were listening, how much is a penny worth? One cent. Right. (laughs) So it is more expensive to make a penny than it is to just be a penny. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, wow. So yeah, like remember when I said it was less than worthless? Yeah. That's what I meant. Uh, it cost the United States Mint, how much do you think, to keep pennies around annually? God, so much. How much do you think? Man, enough to like pay our teachers better probably. Um, I would say... At least one teacher. <laughs> at least one teacher. Give one teacher like the best life. I'm going to say it costs like a million dollars. Oh, really? $2 million? $90 million. $90 million on pennies? Annually, $90 million. Fuck me up. So so in the spirit of coinage reform, (laughs) which is what this movement is called. Absolutely. And there is a movement of people who are like, why do we have to have this be a movement? Why can't we just not have pennies anymore? Um, So yeah. In, in the spirit of that, I have amassed most of the arguments as to why the penny should be destroyed, never to be spoken of again. Agree. Number one, we would save $90 million. <laughs> we could do so much with that $90 million. That's the first one. Yeah, no, I feel like I don't really need to expand upon that. We could... Do anything Even we could it. just give, like, everyone in America, like, one cheap ice cream cone. Yeah. It would still be a better use. Even if, like, a bunch of the people couldn't have it because they can't eat dairy. Like, yeah. it would still be, like... Well, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's free. Yeah. But it's not free because we're using the $90 million that we saved. So, right? It's obvious. Uh, Number two, we would maybe be saving closer to $400 million. What? What? Yeah, that's exactly right. You heard me right. Pennies could be costing us hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, the reason for this is a little highbrow. So stick with me. I got this. As we all know, time is money. But the thing is that time is actually money. So what I mean by this is that studies have been done, and if you break down the time it takes to fumble around and ascertain pennies, there have been studies done at like Walgreens, CVS's pharmacies, seeing how long it takes to use small incremental mm-hmm. change. It slows down commerce at a faster rate than money is earned. So I think on average... It takes two seconds to make a cent. Ah. So the time it takes to use change is not worth, like, it's not worth that time. Yeah. Um, And that's, like, kind of strange to wrap your brain around. And you could easily kind of argue that point. You can't argue the 90 fucking million dollars because that's just science. Um, But, like, it seems so small that it just takes a couple extra seconds. But on a national scale, these things 
And this slowing of commerce adds up to hundreds of millions of dollars. So Sebastian Malaby of the Washington Post had this to say on the topic. The National Association of Convenience Stores and Walgreens drugstore chains have estimated that handling pennies adds 2 to 2.5 seconds per cash transaction. Assume that the average citizen makes one such transaction every day and so wastes, to be conservative, 730 seconds a year. The median worker earns just over $36,000 a year, or about 0.5 cents per second. So futzing with the pennies costs him about $3.65 annually. Multiply that last figure by the number of Americans, and you find that getting rid of the penny would free up economic resources valued at about $1 billion a year. So again, that's not dollars and cents, $1 billion, but it's a billion dollars of man hours wasted. I'll take a billion dollars however I can get it, frankly. Yeah, even metaphorical. Yeah. I'd love that. So that's something to chew on, right? Yeah, holy fucking shit. All right, moving on to number three. Numero trace. Charities don't even want your fucking pennies. That's true. (laughs) So some people are like, well, we could just give all the fucking pennies to charity, and, like, that would be good. A, you're not going to do that. You're not going to. Um, But branching off this theme of time is money, many charities don't actually believe that every penny counts. Uh, We both work in fundraising, and we both know that micro donations can sometimes, not always, but sometimes have negative impacts on your overall fundraising goals. Yeah. Um, which is something that's also interesting to think about, like things like Amazon Smile and things that mm-hmm. take incremental um, take incremental donations from your donor pool. Like sometimes that's actually detrimental to the donor process as a whole, mm-hmm. which is an interesting concept and only happens in certain, like, yeah. donor things and organizations. But, like, sometimes it's not great just to shave the top off because yeah. you want to actually really go after more substantial gifts yeah. to make to make a difference. But the main thing is that the manpower it takes to store and sort that much metal takes resources away from charities again, at a higher rate than the money is actually worth. Yeah. Because it's worth so little. Mm -hmm. So there's that. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, Number four, most instances where you use coins won't even take your fucking pennies. (laughs) So the only time I ever use a coin anymore is if I happen to be at a parking meter that doesn't take credit cards. Yes. Most of the ones in Boston take credit cards. It's lit. Or perhaps if I'm at an old-timey carnival and I want a large... Novelty gumball. Yes. Or I'll use it for my laundry machine. My laundry machine has a card. That's so, like, nice. there's one. But, yeah, some people use it for laundry. Um, but even if I wanted all three of those items, a penny would be no help to me. Parking meters and vending machines don't even take nickels. The nickel also has almost all of the same problems as the penny does. And many scholars of coinage have said the best option for U.S. currency would be to have a 10-cent coin a 50 cent coin and a dollar coin. Interesting. So like that's ideal. That some people say that that's the ideal three coins we should have because in another facet of this is that maybe getting rid of the penny would push the US mint to consider a dollar coin rather mm-hmm. than a do- dollar bill, which in processing costs would co- would save the US government another 500 million dollars. If they had a dollar coin instead of a dollar bill? Yes. Interesting. Yep. I have to read some of these coined scholars' work. Yeah. The guy who did a lot of this research, his name is Robert Waples. Sounds like a penny scholar. Yeah. I mean, he sounds like he's got a huge top hat and like a (laughs) comically large puffing pipe. 
I'd love to meet him, and he's like the coolest hip dude you've ever met. Yeah. He's got a man bun. He's drinking mm-hmm. like a kombucha. I would love that. <laughs> um, I think he's old, but... Uh, I would rather he was sexy. <laughs> like um, uh, Chris Hemsworth in the Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> that's exactly what I would think. I would prefer that. Uh, yeah, so that's where I got a lot of this research. He's done a lot for the coinage reform community. Wow. I'll never get sick of saying coinage reform. <laughs> um... Yeah, so let's move on. Uh, Number five, prices wouldn't increase and Americans living in poverty would not be adversely affected. This is debated. I'll get into why the people on the other side of the debate are kind of at the whims of capitalism. But this is the only thing that would give me pause in this situation. It's something that when it was brought up in like, when I was Googling penny debates, of which there are many, that's the only thing where I'm like, yeah, like that's something to consider. Like if that's even a possibility, it should be considered because just because something's useless and costing America and the American government lots of money, you know, I don't think they're going to put that money back into the, you know, homeless community or the... uh, community of people living in poverty. So it's more important to take care of those people first. But a lot of studies have been done that... So basically, like, if you get rid of the penny, you're going to have to round prices. Yes. And so some people are like, well, that's going to negatively affect the poorest American citizens because they're going to have to pay more. And also, it's more likely that you're going to be paying in cash. So it's going to negatively affect people who pay cash, which often tends to be people at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. Mm -hmm. That sounds legitimate. Yeah. But a lot of studies have been done that show that there aren't, that the, basically that the roundups on prices are evened out by the round downs. Mm -hmm. Like just as many items would be rounded up as would be rounded down. A big reason is because a lot of people want their prices, like if their price is $4.99, they don't want it to be $5 and 5 cents. They want it to be, or it wouldn't be $5, it would be just be $5. $5. They would rather have it be $4.95 because mm. that accomplishes the same yeah. sort of sales goal of having it be a four rather than a five in front, but still them getting the most money that they can. Interesting. Um, so yeah, that's like, it's, it's interesting to think about and it is important to think about because if there is going to be a negative impact yeah. on a community that's already like having to deal with so much awful shit from our government, like, that's very important. But it doesn't seem like that is the case. Yeah. And they would also benefit from, you know, not having to fumble around with smaller coins, which is, like, wasting their time also. And also, if there's charities that are benefiting, like, they wouldn't be receiving pennies, which would lower their manpower. And it also, like, the change that they would receive in donations would be higher. Mm -hmm. So there's that to consider. I had a um, an interesting excerpt from the New York Times, from a New York Times article in 2016 that said, in effect, eliminating the penny means all retail prices would end in zero or five. Some prices would rise a few pennies. Some would be rounded down. Prices that end in 99 cents are common, and penny proponents have argued that eliminating pennies would amount to a one cent sales tax. But Robert Waples, there he is again, 
an economist at Wake Forest University, actually examined this claim in 2007 by looking at pricing data from the, a chain of convenience stores. That's the study we had already spoken yeah. about. He reported that the savings from prices rounded down would roughly offset the cost of prices rounded up. Indeed, consumers might actually benefit. Retailers like prices that end in 0.99 because people tend to underestimate the actual price. When people see 4.99, they tend to pay too much attention to the 4 and not enough to the 99. Mm-hmm. So that's where I got that information from. Yeah. But I want also to make it clear that it's not just this one guy who did one study. Several university has have done many different studies across mm-hmm. different communities. Yeah. So there you go. Number six, pennies are poisonous. Ooh. This isn't really true. Oh. Um, however, zinc, which is the main metal used in making pennies, can cause damage to the stomach lining of small children. And even one single penny has enough zinc in it to kill some small pets. No. So that's reason enough for me. All right, number seven. We could put Abraham Lincoln on literally anything else. Isn't he already on the $5 bill? Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> but people are like, but Abraham Lincoln, though. And I'm like... What if we made a new coin and put a woman on it and everyone was just like, no, no. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about that. I don't care about Abraham Lincoln that much. No, I mean, he's already on the five. I don't know what to do. (laughs) He's also dead. Yeah, he doesn't care. Put RuPaul on the fucking coin. Oh, yeah. I'll keep the penny if if, uh, she's on it. So why do we still have the penny? Traditionalist fucks. Is that right? Yeah. No, we're done. Great. All right. Well, be sure to like us (laughs) on... uh, iTunes. No, talk more, talk more. No, I mean, that's absolutely right. It boils down to the most potent combination of ignorance. Yeah. Nostalgia. Woo! And capitalism. Hell yeah! Everyone has an uncle who's like all three. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, I th- on the one hand, one of the leading lobbyists against coinage reform who puts out false information about how pennies are good for commerce and charities will, you know, lose out millions of dollars if we don't have pennies anymore, is Jardin Zinc, the main supplier of zinc to the U.S. Mint. So, duh. So Jardin Zinc is a company. You thought it was like a dude. I there was a man named, I was like, is Zinc named for the family that discovered it? Who is wow. Jardin <laughs> He went to Jardin's. <laughs> And just just this one shitty Eric Trump looking <laughs> I dude. I was imagining a man, wow. a man named Jardin Zink. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That would just, that sounds like a name of some fuckhole, you know? <laughs> it really does. Oh, have you met my boyfriend? His name is Jardin. His family invented Zink. Fuck him. <laughs> He's like, Jardin was my grandmother's maiden name, and that's why it's my first name. Though, you can make the decision of whether or not to cut this out. We went to college, and you were friends with a person with the last name Tiffany. I was. And he was a Tiffany. He did Like, of Tiffany, Tiffany & Co. Yes. He was a, a, a branch off it, but yeah, he was. He was, though. Yeah. Um, the other reasons are just that, you know, like, people like stuff that's old and are too lazy to change it. Uh, and the thing that's unfortunate is that... This is an apolitical no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Like, something that would do only good for our country and allow politicians on both sides to work together on something that would save American taxpayers money, which they both always, like, both sides always say they're trying to do, but of that course. never ends up happening. But we're not going to do that because politicians only want to focus on issues that rally their base for them and against their opponent. And that makes me sad. 
And it makes everyone sad. Yeah, it's sad. And, you know, I've literally, like, thrown pennies in the garbage before. Me too. And I remember once, like, Chris was like, oh, you can't do that. Like, it's money. And I was like, oh, I feel bad. Like, I guess it is money. Like, I guess that's bad. No, fuck that. I it, Throw them in the garbage. You'll never use them. They're garbage. They're less than worthless. You would make... It would be more useful for you to melt them down for zinc, which is illegal, I think, to tamper with U.S. currency in that way. Yeah. So don't do that. But... But it'd be better. It'd be better. Is not what we're saying, because that would be illegal. It would make you more money. But (laughs) that's all we're going to say about that. Um, And I'm not going to feel bad about it anymore when, like, there's a bunch of shit at the bottom of my purse, and some of them are pennies, and I just turn it over the garbage can. Because it's 2019. Yes. And I'm sick of it. Death to the penny. The end. The end. The end. Excellent work. I'm convinced. Thank you so much. I think we should kill all pennies. What do you guys think? Is there anyone out there who's pro-penny? I'm not trying to judge you. I do think you're wrong. But I want you to bring your opinion to me. Tweet at us. We just want to understand you. We just want to know why you think these wrong things. I want to know. Can you show me? Can you show me? I want to know about these strangers who like pennies. Sam's going to Disney World in a couple weeks. (laughs) It's her now this time. Maybe you'll come back and you'll be like... Brainwashed? Totally brainwashed like I was. (laughs) I got her some uh, pretty Mickey ears. They're so lit. I'll have to post a picture later. They really are nice. They're so fun. Thank you. I had to go on like a Disney back channel to get them because they were sold out. (laughs) They're the mermaid ones for anyone who's listening who knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) They were sold out. But Uh, yeah. Wow. We've been through it today. We did a lot of good work for the country, I I think. think. And I think there's really going to be change in the world. I definitely think so. Or will there be less change? Haha, kill the we penny. We should be politicians. Should we run for office? Yeah. I only want to run together, though. Yeah, I think we should. Like, we should share a Senate seat. We both talked about our vaginas a lot on this podcast, though, so I feel like that might be a problem. Maybe that's what the Senate needs. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's what the Senate needs. More people <laughs> screaming about their vaginas and their yes, feelings. Yes, I would prefer that. Hear that? Elizabeth Warren. No, you have better stuff to do right yeah. now. You do what you're doing, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. We, can, we can handle this. We can, we'll do this one. Yeah. Um, all right, Massachusetts. All right. Well, <laughs> Get vote, your write-ins ready. Vote for us. Um, while you're thinking about doing that, uh, follow us on your podcatchers. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter, Adam Horrified Pod. Review us if you want. Review us, please. We love reviews. We got the sweetest review the other day. That was like, you can tell Sam and Allie are genuinely friends. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to cry. That's so sweet. And it's so funny because I just met you at that casting call for this podcast. I know. <laughs> this is actually a headgam podcast. Please remember to send us stories um, that we can read during You're Horrified, which is our segment where we tell stuff that horrified you. Yeah, your hometown horrifies, but we're not going to call them that. I don't know. What I like You're Horrified yeah. better. But send us your hometown horrifieds, anyways. Yeah. Until we decide what to name them. We already named them You're Horrified. All right. Well, then it's decided. Send them to us. <laughs> Just send us a story of something bad that happened to you. I don't know what else to say. Great. With that, and with, with that, that really sweet, warm, <laughs> welcoming, we love you all. Yes. We hope you're having a good day. Yes. But still, until next week, we're going to need you to stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.